Welcome, welcome to another episode of Filmmakers on the Cutting Edge from creativespark.ai, where we have conversations with filmmakers who use or create cutting edge technologies, tools, and workflows to be a more productive and creative filmmaker. I'm your host, Marcelo Lewin. If you want to get a hold of me, as always, email me, marcelo at creativespark.ai. Also, remember to go check out our site, creativespark.ai, for more podcast episodes and tutorials. Finally, if you're watching this on YouTube, please remember to subscribe to our channel, click that bell icon to get notified when a new episode is out, and hit the like button if you enjoyed this episode. If you didn't, send me an email and tell me why. Now, in today's episode, we're going to go in deep into the world of virtual productions and their impact on low-budget filmmaking with my guest, James Pierschott, head of creative at Powerhouse. So, without further ado, let's go ahead and get him in. James. Hello. Well, Hi. all the way from London, correct? All the way from Leeds in the, in the UK, yeah. Leeds, and now how far is that from London? Uh, 250 miles, around oh, about. okay, so it's pretty far, kind of, <laughs> yeah, almost like... Yeah, smack in the middle of the UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, for us Americans, it's uh, UK is London, basically, right? I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, glad to have you here. Thank you so much for being here. Why don't we start out by... Um, just telling a little bit about yourself, um, how you got into filmmaking, VFX, what you're doing at Powerhouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm James Pearshard. I um, uh, I started uh, way back when, about twenty odd years ago, as an engineer, a, a mechanical engineer, with a real fixation and, and fascination in in three um, uh, D, in uh, CAD CAM software, in 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 all sorts of technology, and and, and the technical side of uh, of engineering, which eventually led to um, me becoming a bit of an engineer, but it's kind of a boring thing sometimes. So actually being able to uh, flex into the more creative side of uh, of engineering and creative side of technology uh, kind of led me to being a, uh, a 3D artist and a 3D engineer, which then changed into the entertainment section and that changed into where I am now, which is... Um, uh, a, a video creative uh, agency uh, doing basically um, anything from TV adverts to TikTok, um, but at massive scale. Uh, and yeah, that's kind of where we are now. So you have that that balance between creativity and being technical, which mm-hmm. I think nowadays most people need to have that to fully understand because th- this technology, even though at the end of the day is for storytelling, it's hard to get away from that technical aspect of how it works, mm-hmm. and so you understand the challenges and possibilities of it. Would you agree? We're literally, yeah. we're literally on the on on the the cutting edge, the bleeding edge of this technology at the moment, and so uh, with the kind of democratization of this technology, it's it's it, it's almost like a race to uh, to building that right pipeline and race to uh, realizing how how it is that we we utilize it in a commercial uh, space. Yeah, definitely. Well, today we're we're talking about virtual production specifically for low budget indie filmmakers, right? Uh, where you don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars to spend on a huge LED screen. And in fact, I think you're running uh, virtual production behind you, right? I mean, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Maybe you can change so, a couple of the scenes before we get started. Yeah, no worries. Um, Magically, uh, now you're in a space city or yeah. wherever that is. Now we're in, in in a Star Wars thing. This is all um, AI generated and then basically animated in 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 After Effects and uh, uh, and rendered out and, and into a loop. 
so we kind of got you know a, a number of different technologies going on there, but essentially it's all about matching their lighting and uh, and dealing with the the scene and matching the depth of there. Uh, and this is actually on a locked off camera, but um, it's not a million miles away for us to uh, basically then put that into a tracking environment. Connect it into a tracking, yeah, yeah in Unreal. Yeah. Switch to the other scene where you have the lights okay. where it's darker. Are you now. ready? Yeah, we're this ready. is this is real. Um, uh, yeah, this is real. Do it on a low budget. I'm turning lights off and on. So hang on, I'm doing it on my. I love that. Now, stage. for those watching or for those listening on the podcast, obviously you can't see this, but he's actually switching background, turning on the lights that will react to the background. As you can see, the lights are now uh, reacting to the background, which is a bluish background. Right now, yeah. it's a different kind of. Mood. And now we're in the MI5 control room, and this is an homage, homage to. Um, a very cool uh, virtual production short uh, that really inspired us in our journey of, of virtual production, which is called Fireworks, um, by um, by the uh, VFX supervisor who did um, uh, Interstellar uh, uh, and um, what's the other one? Uh, but absolute, absolute uh, beautiful stuff, and it was an MI5 control room that converted itself into uh, a cobbled street. Uh, it's something that you know. It, uh, from a creative standpoint, you just wouldn't be able to do in a tech, in a uh, right. traditional production technique, right. other than building multiple sets within an environment and then basically move the camera around. That. Yeah, and this just shows the power of virtual production, even in low budget. Right here, we're doing it in a webinar, right, and we're having a conversation, our podcast webinar, and you just switched it right there. So, all right, maybe we can switch you back to where we can see yeah. a little bit better. So you're back to your, what is that, a bar? I think yeah. you're in a bar. Yeah, we're in a coffee shop. In a coffee shop. There you go. And uh, all right. So when do we uh, get started uh, talking about, I think your light, there we go. Now we can back. See, now the sun is back on your face. Um, so let's talk, let's put everybody on the same level. Before we jump into how do we bring this to the level of low budget, let's start with... Um, explaining virtual production. I mean, we just saw basically virtual production, but how is that different from traditional filmmaking methods? Uh, for me, virtual production is um, creating digital environments where you would have created physical sets, locations, uh, it, it, you know, uh, environments that would have essentially been built or we travel to there. And we're creating them digitally. We're creating them virtually. And we're using technology to basically uh, manage that through um, either IC VFX, which is in-camera VFX, or creating uh, XR worlds, which is extended reality worlds, uh, for other immersive um, purposes. And in general, you'd be something like Unreal Engine to do yeah. this? Yeah, so we do. Explain a, bit, a little bit about those technologies, including... Um, so from a from a technical point of view, uh, and I, I'll, I'll keep it to a budget point of view as well um, right. when you when we're talking about unreal it is free to get hold of it is free to learn i really do um advocate that, that, that it's a fantastic medium to to get into when trying to figure out this kind of thing um so a good volume of the commercial work we do whether it's tvc or or, or a tiktok or, or anything in between is using um, Unreal spaces because of the fact that we are moving the camera and therefore we need the perspective to shift relative to the to the position of the camera. Um, however, that doesn't mean that you have to stay there. So uh, Unreal is one of the technologies that we can use and we all we basically need is something we use to size, which is something basically that controls 
that window into the virtual space. And this size is perfect for um, basically running these panels, whether there be a massive wall of, you know, the size of a room or whether it's six panels and it's actually just, you know, as far as I can reach either side, it's basically a window into what what is happening in the virtual space. And that's only because of the need that we have here um, uh, or the need that you have on a tabletop shoot or the need that you have in, in any kind of uh, um, production that you're working on. Now, the power too is like, for example, let's say you were in, in, in a coffee shop for real, like mm -hmm. there, but you have the window, which you have it on your right-hand side, right? You have a window yep. there. Yep. That could actually be a practical set. And behind the window, yep. it could be just a monitor. Yep. And mm -hmm. this, this is a restaurant in the space city, let's say. And that monitor is just, so you don't always have to have this huge panel behind you. You could have a mixture of practical with a yeah. panel, correct? That, that for us is one of the, the major components. We always talk about um, when people say, oh, is VP the future? Is VP going to take over everything? Are you never going to need a set again? I think that's wrong. Um, we basically have this hybridization of technologies. So what it does allow us to do is make it um, a golden hour all day long. It, may, it allows us to um, shoot content um, that might be... Um, uh, it's raining all day and actually in order for us to achieve the raining we'd either need it to bring in practical effects which can be expensive and come with various restrictions or it, it means that we have to um, uh, wait for it to rain and then you know shoot like hell while we're while it's raining and then um, uh, and then stop if it stops so this kind of gives us or fight in, in post by the way um, uh, but this kind of gives us that kind of uh, that ability to do this on set it gives us the ability to maintain and sustain that kind of um, uh, atmosphere all all the way through the shoot. How do you how do you decide when to use virtual production and when not to? Uh, especially if you're a low budget uh, filmmaker. Right, so this is a, general. This is an interesting one. Uh, if we doing for a, for a commercial point of view, if we're if we're doing a, something that's coming with a with a brief already, and and um, uh, it might be that it's already come with uh, storyboards. If it's come to that level, then there's not so much you can influence. However, if you are really thinking about the creative process, then actually um, the biggest decision is actually basically saying, if I want to use virtual production, I have to bring the post-production element up front. But actually, that's not a bad practice to have because it allows us to not have to do normal storyboards. We can actually bring and, and, and build... Um, blocked out uh, sets, blocked out areas, and then run our entire scene and create animatics, as they're called, uh, which really kind of help you hone from a logistics point of view, from a, um, a, a technical and a creative point of view, exactly what that film, what that uh, story is going to tell um, over you know a much shorter period without having the expense or the uh, the, the issues with traveling to a location or without having the expense or issues of, of running that production and, and kind of finding it on the day, we can find it all in pre-production. So for, for us, deciding whether a virtual production uh, methodology or a traditional methodology is, is used, it, it depends on um, the amount of uh, contact you need with the space uh, and then also the, uh, the, the future of that content. So for example, if we're building a large house for example, but we need that house. That house is connected, intrinsically connected with the brand's product. Then we may need to shoot in that house 
regularly over the year. We may need to do pickup, do all sorts of things. And there might be an element where creating a part of the house and doing a set extension in virtual production or a set extension in digital or creating literally doubles, which we've done before, um, allow us to basically extend the use of that space without, um, you know, destroying the environment, without having to build that set, either store it, which in a low budget environment, you don't have the space or build it, collapse it, strike it down and then build it again and build it again. It's not sustainable, uh, both financially and and for the environment. So the idea in in that digital double, what we're talking about is maybe you shoot it the first time you only have access to that home one time, but Mm -hmm. then you go not only shoot that one scene, but you also maybe use photogrammetry or whatever other capture technology to rebuild it in Unreal. And then now you pretty much can use it whenever you want, change time of day, anything. But we're also doing that um, uh, up front as well, if you know what I mean. So uh, by if we were building a set in, we're in a studio now, if we were building the set in, in our studios here, we would build the set in 3D and in in, in physical space if we needed to, uh, which allows us basically to then block out all the scenes that are both virtual and physical at the same time. Uh, then we only need to by the number of props or plants or, or MDF or, or whatever that we actually physically need to complete the job. We don't need to have you know backups and, and extra floating walls everywhere. We can actually be very m- much more efficient with what we actually need to do and how we need to tell that story. So tell us about collaboration and communication within the team because it seems that when you're doing this, right, there's there's got to be that collaboration and communication between the teams. Um, to to be able to match the the practical with the virtual both yeah. not just in look and feel and lighting but also in camera uh, um focal length camera type all of that kind of stuff so what are some best practices for that so that's one of the biggest things that is one of one of the the largest lessons that we've learned as a as a production company and and, and moving into a content agency one of the biggest things that we've learned to deal with is how to understand the capabilities of both the uh, LED screen, uh, but also the uh, cross nuances. So, um, uh, what a this is an aperture light here. This is another aperture light here. What that aperture light uh, intensity and output is, uh, as well as things like the solutions that were were an issue early doors. Things like um, the color spectrum shift between what is rendered on a um, uh, an LED volume and uh, what comes out of there and getting that kind of uh, color intensity and the color, it, it's almost like it's very, very subtle. But once you get it right, because of the fact that we're using LED all over the place, once you get it right, it's a lot easier to get involved with. Back in the early days, like two and a half years ago, we would struggle with moire and all sorts of weird stuff on there. But it, it's it's almost like it's a continual learning process and, um, and actually getting the DOPs, getting the set stylists, getting the Art, de- uh, art department, the creatives, the copywriters, getting all those people on side is vital for, for making a virtual production uh, project work uh, cohesively. Uh, in, in, in our instance, we have um, uh, six uh, Unreal developers who essentially have come from a, a similar sort of background as myself. You know, they're, they're engineers, they're, they're really highly technically minded, and they're now currently doing... Um, Things like uh, architectural visualization, which is, is, is heavy in the engineering side, it's heavy in the the, the focal points of, um, uh, of, of of tolerances and nuances of that. 
but there's an, a huge artistry here. So they then flow into almost like the, the build and the structure and are being uh, helped from an artistry point of view by our, our VAD, our, our virtual art department now, which is a, a set stylist or a, a set dresser who is working across an unreal environment, who's also working across uh, AI things like this, who's also working across the foreground and the um, and the physical components of the shoot. Uh, it, it's basically just better collaboration. Yeah, huge, in community, huge in, amount more huge, collaboration. Right, and um, but that that seems okay. So you mentioned a lot of people working and people that are on low budget, you know, um, or no budget filmmaking. They're listening to all this. It's like I don't have all those people. So bringing now to to low budget. Now we're going to be now really focusing on that. And how realistic is virtual production? for low budget? Well, I'll start by saying that uh, low budget is kind of where we started and went up. Uh, so we now do have uh, 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 virtual art departments. We do have set dresses in work. And now we have DLPs that all understand that. But actually, when we first started, it was me with a glass of, of, of coffee. And we kind of sat there and went, right, I want to see if I can make that glass look like uh, it's in three different environments. Um, uh, in, mm. uh, in, in, in a day, which would have been in physical practicality impossible. Uh, we have a breadth of, um, physical props downstairs so we can get up different tables and different layouts. But actually all we had was that a bunch of, uh, rather cheap lighting and, um, an iMac. And the first thing we started with was basically stock stills, stock footage, uh, or stock stills. And, and I set three very, very different environments. One was a, a sled, sledding thing. One was um, in Italy. Uh, and then another one was in a, 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 a lounge and basically said, right, DOPs, you guys light physical spaces for a living. We're, we're filmmakers. We know how to light spaces. And that's our craft. Now, just imagine you're in that space like that, light to the foreground. Uh, we were restricted, of course, because of the fact that uh, the, the backdrop was a stock shot. Whereas now we can do both because it's unreal we're building it. But to start with, just take a shot and try and light that. Try and take the light the physical element like the for the, the background, and, and and that's how we kind of started. Now um, about seventy percent of the work that we do now is virtual production, but it's actually at a very small tabletop level. So we do a lot of uh, FMCG and retail content. Uh, all the way down from e-commerce stuff to experiential stuff, uh, TikToks to TV. Uh, now, at TV level, you can have 10, 20 people in the room, and you you need that because you, you can work in at such a, a, a pace. But um, when you're talking about e-commerce content and you want to do something that is personalized or you want to do something that is seasonal uh, and it's it's a cup of coffee or it's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's a package of cereal, something like that, uh, to actually put context behind there, to put, be it lifestyle image is basically a step. But what if you have thousands of those images to do? Uh, I'm talking stills here as well. Yeah. If you have thousands of shots to do, um, it's just not practical for us to build that kind of contextual variance. And it's not practical for us to to shoot in multiple different sets. So therefore you you, you lean on posts. But then what if you're dealing with a um, food processor or something like that with uh, a transparency in it? Uh, and, and it, you know, I, anyone who's done a bit of green screen will know that that's an absolute nightmare to deal with, getting uh, uh, get, getting any of the refractions and reflections right. So what we do is basically have a 
a very small um, LED volume, like six, six, 10 to 12 uh, screens there, uh, little panels. Uh, and then we have eight of those in a room. So they back to back each other. And we have eight rigs running all, all next to each other with maybe one art director who, who offsets and jumps between each one. Right, shoot this. Okay, right, that's great. That one. Okay, right. set the next one up, set the next one up. And basically, that's how we scale a very low production and a low um, uh, a low impact uh, at virtual production set. Because what you have to think about from as from a filmmaker's point of view is not having a huge screen because you only have to have enough screen for that shot. Exactly. For what you're covering, not everything. So yeah, the Mandalorian has that huge dome. But you're not the Mandalorian, and you just want a shot of of you, James, in front of that window. So we just need to enough to do that, right? And don't forget, a briefing stage, you 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 can start to learn that. So you can actually, if you brought, if you work in a virtual production pipeline, you can start to learn what you do need to go to the big Mandalorian style uh, volume for, and what you can shoot on a very small rig. Right. So then you start to build in things like where. Um, you might put that product down and that product becomes a close-up shot, which then could be contextualized by X number of versions later on on a completely different set. But it's the same set because it's a digital set. So actually, that's where we get very clever with how we do it. Uh, and there's certain shots that are absolutely beautiful in TV adverts we could not do before in a in a, a variance of uh, of kitchen or, or house background. One springs to mind is... Um, uh, we do doing match cuts between multiple different kitchens out of an oven. So actually coming out of the food, we build an oven, uh, cut the back off, heat the back of the oven, put a, a probe lens uh, in, which, you know, it's fairly straightforward as it's so far. However, if you wanted six different kitchens on the other the side, the nightmare there is as the oven glass door comes down, all the refractions there don't really match up if you do it green. Right. So how we do that, is to do it with a virtual production thing. You're not sacrificing just a panel quality. behind there. Essentially, yeah, we had like I think we had six to eight panels behind there, and we just kind of set that up, and then we could do uh, I think we did five or six match cut kitchens with different uh, casts and different products, which meant you could match up between uh, for an oil company, so you could basically match up between dressing the food raw with the oil and then pulling it out of the oven and going, ha ha, I've got it. <laughs> That's amazing. That's cool. But but that's so that, and that's the thing is as low budget uh, or no budget in the filmmakers, you're already used to having to be very creative in the way you're making your film, right? Yeah. Because you don't have that much budget. So uh, it, in a sense, it makes you more creative. So there are ways to implement, as you mentioned. And time as well. And time. I mean, films, you know, you have that space and you have that time. But actually, when we're talking about uh, content creators and, and and the like, it's pace. It's time is money. Come on, we we have uh, we have a, a limited budget, but we also have a limited amount of time to do this. So uh, it may actually promote the fact that we need to use a virtual production solution because of the fact that we can run them concurrently, and it might mean that uh, we haven't got time to build a set. We haven't got time to source that that particular chair that uh, that needs to be in the background or, or whatever we can actually do that much, much quicker in a virtual environment. So, it, you know, it, it, there's swings and roundabouts between both both technologies. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. I was just thinking about um, also if you're switching many places, uh, your location scouter, 
basically is somebody looking at if you go the the cheap route stock photography that you're going to use in the background if you go the unreal route right building the sets and looking for different places within that terrain to for the best shot yeah exactly yeah. we also have um what's what's been a a happy accident but um when i talk about um uh icv effect the in camera in camera uh, and when we talk about XR, and they're two separate things, but actually we're doing both in most productions because of the fact that because we're blocking out the scene in Unreal first, uh, it means that we can bring uh, the practical elements of the set. And so, right, I need a mountain, a little hill here that's one meter, and it slopes down like that to about half a meter, and it's all moss. Yes, that's a live example. Um, go away, art department, and make that structure. Don't give me more than I need. Just make that. Uh, but it also means that uh, our art department and our creatives and our client and everybody can all get into the space in Unreal through, uh, you know, your he- your a headset or something like that. We can share a link live and we can walk through that space together. So this is like a, a recce, but it's just a virtual recce. And the time it saves by having that as a uh, an option so that when the client and everybody gets on set, Everybody knows what it looks like. Everybody know, knows how it's lit. Knows how it's um, how it's set up, and it's, it's a perfect opportunity for us to um, to maximize the time on set, which is the, the you know the the costly component. Yeah. So we spoke a lot about the benefits. Obviously, there's many benefits. What are some of the challenges from a low budget point of view? Uh, well, time, of course. Uh, technology is is difficult but not impossible to, to get across. Um, you can basically scale up to it. Uh, I would even say things like uh, we have uh, about three or four different ways of doing this. This is a locked off camera, so there is no parallax or, right. or any any movement here. This, the, the, uh, these guys here are moving, but they're actually stock shots that are then uh, keyed out and placed into the environment. This is, is literally just a, a mid-journey shot that we tweaked and, and, uh, and played around with and then added in a load of uh, moving components and little light leaks and light effects. Mm-hmm. Um, so so f- uh, from that perspective, we, we, we're starting really, really low, but actually we have a mid-level there, which is back into the green screen uh, studio, which is kind of uh, a, a midpoint. And when we look at the technology that's involved in that, it's the same camera, it's the same process. It's the same Unreal space. It's, it's off the same hard drive. All that's different is now we need to track that camera. So then there, there's variable um, technologies to do that. But actually, the barrier to entry for that is maybe another four or five thousand uh, pounds, um, a British pound. Um, but um, when you then get to the big LED volume, that's a, it's a different tracking mechanism because it's further to track. So that might be sixty thousand. But by this point you're still using the same process. You're still using the same Unreal themes, and you're still learning that same process. So what right. you learn right right here is perfectly applicable. It's it, perfectly applicable. Yeah, so, so the biggest thing for us was learning the process and the, the technology and then scaling our use cases uh, after that. So, you know, we still have that uh, uh, tracking software uh, downstairs in the green screen, which is about 4,000, uh, four, five grand, five grand. Same lighting. Let's talk about those skills for a minute. For um, an indie filmmaker, they're usually very small crew and people do many things, right? They, they yeah. could, the director could be the producer, it could be the writer, it could be the person shooting the camera, right? Uh, what are some of those skills for those people in that small crew to have to properly implement 
um, an entry level virtual production? Um, so if you if you were going back to let's say we, we're going with a stock environment, um, I, I think the best skill that we've we've had between it is, uh, between us is the ability to naturally light a physical environment to a virtual environment. So if if I was skilling up, I would skill heavily as, as a DOP, uh, really learn how to technically uh, light in physical spaces because the. I mean, even even in Unreal, the tools that we use, um, we're using uh, replicatable lights in Unreal. So technically, the intensity, the color gamut, the, everything, the, the the control of the virtual lights is very similar to the control of the physical lights. And we've specifically set that up. But there's there's you know some nice plugins that really help a non-technical person control a physical and virtual environment through DMX or something like that. To control a physical and virtual environment together, which means you've there now got a um, a DOP is able to light in Unreal. Uh, the Unreal stuff, if you're getting into Unreal, let's start by downloading some scenes from the marketplace. Let's start by digging into it, take it apart, put it back together again. Anything, a little model of anything will be fine. Um, this, you know, the um, and there's the, tons the, of free models and so many. Yeah, there's so many. Even the environments, like the city and things like that. And there's a, there was a new one launched uh, the other day. Uh, in, I think uh, uh, Unreal gives you uh, starter packs that are free anyway, and they they give you monthly free content too, right? There's 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 plenty to learn from. Certainly, plenty to 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 get your uh, get you started. Uh, but if you know the complexities and the 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 um, uh, the process of lighting that area, that's where where it really does come in because. Uh, Unreal has a great, especially if you're outdoors, a great uh, skylight system. Uh, the luminosity is perfect, perfect. Right. But that it's almost like um, if you apply that, it's it's very straightforward to do. You don't learn uh, how, or what intensities of light are at what point and why. So learning it in a physical environment and then replicating it into uh, Unreal or walking outside is 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 the bit is the key point. So there we've got like a DOP who's working as a, a, a lighter. The the camera operators, some of the low-end uh, tracking devices, I say low-end, the mid-level tracking devices um, have uh, almost automated um, uh, calibration units. So if you have, we use a, a Vive Mars unit. Uh, if I have our camera operators calibrating the entire environment, in basically one button press. Mm-hmm. Why? Because we spent the time and set it up for them beforehand. But essentially, they're screwing the um, the, the detecting device, and and there's a, a central console which you basically calibrate, and it, it calibrates for them. Which means that everything that comes to the post team is already got that uh, tracking data built in, right. which therefore makes the post poster so much simpler. There's no need for um, uh, like uh, cross markers and 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 then painting those out, it's a it's a far more straightforward and quicker process to get from uh, shoot to to completion, uh, which is where the Indian, where the, um, the the low budget really does come in. You know, we're quite time poor. Yeah, uh, I'm going to have the guys from uh, Vibe Mars actually on the podcast as well, um, and um, it's it's a pretty cool entry level system, right? I yeah. mean, it's very yeah, it definitely very affordable. And if you're already into VR, you probably have some of those trackers that you can just put on top of the the camera, right? Exactly how we started. Exactly how we started. Yeah, when they launched that, uh, the, 
it's not it's not, it's not even that old when they launched that it's, it's um it's quite absolutely great yeah definitely um so resources for people to go learn besides create a spark of course <laughs> but um all kidding aside resources that you recommend when you were starting out um what's the best place um, to learn more about all this uh, uh goodness me um well uh nowadays from a virtual pro if we keep it to virtual production specifically there are some really good virtual production courses uh which then uh delve into the connection between physical and virtual which will therefore then touch lightly on unreal and touch mm -hmm. lightly on um on, on lighting and uh and the technology behind it um that i think where there's there's a great load actually on uh, on the unreal website to be honest on the virtual production section of the unreal website will give you a good collection of partners uh for both online learning and in person uh, one of the things that we've been doing, we've sent all of our producers, all of our DOPs, and all of our directors to uh, an, uh, a volume, uh, and they run regular um, uh, three-month courses that you can do that mm -hmm. you know might be subsidised by by government or or, or actually two or three grand. It's not quite, quite uh, it's not a lot to to basically get a crack course in virtual production, yeah. uh, and that's that's been. Um, uh, been fantastic for most of the team to kind of get that that spark and that buzz to then uh, elevate their education and elevate their learning into online resources. Um, yeah. Because we're talking about 3D and um, uh, traditional, any if you if you're learning this, it will translate to this eventually. Right. Well, what's interesting is because I'm not a 3D guy, 3D guy, and I want to make sure that, that people that um, are afraid of 3D. Mm -hmm. uh, shouldn't be afraid of of unreal because you really don't i mean it helps a lot right if you know 3d but you really don't need to know 3d because there's plenty of plugins we did a whole tutorial on how to create an entire scene using just plugins and you can you can build a terrain add mountains add wind add snow whatever do your mm -hmm. camera tracking uh without without external tracking just inside with keyframes and you don't need to know 3d and it's you can do some great animatics, previs. You can even do some short films if you wanted to, and even hardware as well. Um, as Unreal gets better and better and better at handling the geometry and handling how it does it in Unreal in uh, real time. Sorry, which by the way, as a twenty-year-old veteran of three D, this world is crazy. That used to actually be a huge barrier. It, 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 that was the biggest stopping point for for basically all of our three D yeah. work would be that render window that you'd have to right. pass through. Uh, right. And the number of times we'd render for hours and hours and hours and then find a mistake and have to go back through and render it again. Yes. Uh, so so this real-time element is fantastic. In that tutorial, I was telling you we were building the terrain and he mm -hmm. was literally put in mountains, readjusted them, the height, the whole. And it was, you did it and it was there and we saw it on the presentation added a lake and water, changed the reflection, changed the deepness. I mean, and this was all in real time. There was no like, okay, let's wait. Okay, let's wait. There was no think about... Um, and this uh, was on a laptop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're, <laughs> We run most of our things off laptops. We, of course, have, have uh, systems to run the bigger volumes. Right. But again, it's the same, same thing. If you're running a smaller volume like this, it can run off a laptop. If you're running a massive uh, mandalorian s volume yeah you, you need a, a lot right. more hardware um but that's not a barrier to entry when we're talking about um uh, something at a, a low budget point of view. 
Um, and I think even Unreal, like the the latest version, um, uh, has now procedural geometry in it, which is, is absolutely fantastic. When you look at how Nanite has progressed, it's, it's crazy. This we used to have to do levels, LORs, levels of detail for um, uh, where an object was in the 3D space, and because we want to build depth into our scenes, uh, something way back in the in in the, in the background would be uh, what's called a billboard, which would be just like mm-hmm. that. Whereas now um, you can take that one model that you've created and replicate it appropriate wherever you need it to go and let software handle it, even when we're tracking in, in real time through through the camera. Yeah, it's amazing. The cre- and, and that frees you as a, as a creator. It frees you with uh, many creative possibilities where you're not focused on the technology. You're now focused on storytelling. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And oh my God, the first time I'll tell you what sold it to me virtual production was when we took the camera off the sticks and we could walk around that space and change the lens, put a new lens on, get that depth of field, do a full focus into the background and into the foreground to the person away from the person. And that was, I say almost, it's nanoseconds of, of, uh, of delay, but it's perfectly good enough for what you need. Exactly. Uh, and Oh my God. That that's what sells it because that's where you then realize that what you used to do was you would think of animation certainly in 3D you'd think of things in planes because I'd need to shoot that in green screen if I'd need a plane of existence then I'd shoot that in 3D then I'd put something in front of it and that's my plane whereas actually now we're going around objects and we're going into things and this is still in 3D space it's, um, uh, it, it's basically unlocked a lot more creative opportunity for us yeah, definitely. Um, okay, cool. So we're pretty much at the end. I do want to end this with, um, for those uh, filmmakers, low-budget indie filmmakers that want to get into virtual production, uh, what is, just give uh, some tips of what they should do next if they never touched it. What? Um, okay, well, I, I would start where we start, started. Um, this is an AI background, so we're using uh, Midjourney to create something that was really, really quick. Let's go to this scene here. If you look here, this is one AI background where every single component on there, all of these are a replication of that. Mm. Uh, and then that's animated, uh, the lighting element there. Um, all of that is is through basically a Midjourney image and then pulled apart and put back together again. Um I would in what start, software? In what software? Oh, uh, in After Effects. In After Effects. Oh, but realistically, you, you could do that in Photoshop um, for, for what you need, for what you right. need to start with a static image uh, and then move to movement later on. But essentially, much of this this, this image is static, just the pumps. So if you started there, then uh, use it on your laptop screen. Use it on your computer screen, your monitor, or your TV at home, and then start to look at how the light interacts with these environments. And, uh, and and scale up from there. Start to make things. I've seen some wonderful things like in the um, Lego uh, work where somebody has built an entire Star Wars environment on their laptop uh, um, uh, keyboard mm-hmm. and then use Lego features, Lego characters to kind of uh, um, animate across there and build like a little stop motion. Those are mm-hmm. great ways to start understanding how light interacts with physical and virtual environments and how much depth you need to build. And then basically, once you have that time, uh, that, that process and that pipeline built, scale it up and then scale it up again. 
with your experience, what's one thing you want to tell anybody starting out not to do? One of the best things that I ever learned as a as a creative, and you know, it, it's taken many many years to learn that. But don't be afraid of failure. Um, test it, it, the only way that this that we're doing this now. 60, 70% of the work we do commercially is this. Uh, the only way we got there was by bashing through the failures. Uh, we tested, we tried it, it didn't work. Well, lots of people were saying, it'll never work. It's moire, we can't fix that. Try it, keep going, keep keep, keep testing. Um, with, um, with, with the way that technology is moving, both from uh, an AI perspective, but also hardware, muscle, blah, blah, blah. All of that kind of thing, it, it, it's it's never a no. It's always, it'll be just, right, put it on pause. That'll solve itself perhaps in the next software release, the next hardware release, the next innovation or next piece of technology, or the next idea that we have may actually solve that problem and we're back on that channel of growth. So yeah. never give up, but never, don't be afraid of failure. If you don't try something new, you'll never know. Yeah, I love that. And honestly, that's, that's something to live by for anything, especially if you're... <laughs> A low budget filmmaker, right? I mean, you're going to fail with everything because you have the, you don't have that budget. Absolutely, so yeah. you learn from that and and you become more creative. Mm -hmm. uh, and as your career grows, um, obviously that helps you even when you have a million dollar or ten million dollar budget. It's still good to know mm -hmm. how to make it without that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, oh, I'm talking merely about my technology here as well, sort of thing. But but to be honest, it, yeah, it could be applied to the creative idea. It could be excited. Exactly. To, yeah. to any any area within our industry, it's, it's, it's great to test, great to try, and it's great to work out. Excellent way to end this conversation. James, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. If people want to get a hold of you, um, what's the best way? Uh, I have quite a unique name, so either search out James Hitchcock, um, or uh, I, I'm usually quite active on LinkedIn, or head to Powerhouse website, which is uh, wearepowerhousestudios.com. Excellent. James, thank, thank you. you so much. I really appreciate it. Cheers. Thank you, guys. Bye. And thanks to the rest of you. I hope uh, you enjoyed this episode of Filmmakers on the Cutting Edge by creativespark.ai. Remember to check out creativespark.ai for more podcast episodes and tutorials focused on cutting edge technologies, workflows, and tools to help you be a more creative and productive filmmaker. Also, quick reminder, if you're watching this on YouTube, please remember to subscribe to the channel, click that bell icon to get the latest episodes, and hit that like button because I know you enjoyed this episode. I know I did. But if you didn't enjoy it, send me an email, marcello at creativespark.ai. So we'll see you on the next one. Cheers. Cheers.